Hey everybody, today on the podcast we have Bob McClure. He's an L.A. comic that recently moved back home to Akron uh, due to the pandemic. I originally met him about a year ago when he was featuring for Sean Lynch, who he often travels with, and he's become one of my favorite comics to watch, hang out with, shoot the shit with. You know, he's just really cool guy, really funny comic, and uh, we really enjoyed talking to him. I think you'll enjoy this episode. Uh, but we do have a couple announcements to get out of the way before we get started. We launched our YouTube page last week, where you'll find all the unedited episodes, and uh, we also are going to start doing once a month a youtube exclusive show called the clip show which will be me brandon and two other comedians talking about comedy clips that have either influenced us or we just like and we'll uh talk about what we take away from those and really get into those so that'll be fun so look for those uh please look up brown petri dish on youtube and hit that subscribe button so you get all those in your feed Last night, funny stop was so packed they had to turn people away. So that, oh damn! Yeah, yeah. Some guy like said he was gonna call the county. I'm like, for what? Like not going over capacity? Like what? <laughs> you know? Like <laughs> it was like following the rules. Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, the second show wasn't wasn't so packed, but it was still fun. Still a big crowd. That's good. Yeah. How was uh, how was Tampa, Bob? Oh God, I hated Florida. <laughs> it's just wow, dude. Apparently, the pandemic hasn't hit the Tampa area, or at least that's how they're acting down there. Yeah, damn. So I didn't even leave my hotel on Saturday. Yeah, just, just like playing Age of Empires on my computer in my hotel, seventy-five and gorgeous outside. <laughs> and when I left Cleveland, it was like twenty degrees and snowing. I'm like, nope, screw this, dude. I'm not going outside. <laughs> Yeah, dude, my uh, my buddy lives down in, uh, I think, West Palm Beach, and he was, like, arguing with me the one day that uh, that they're, like, stricter than we are, and I was like, no, I've seen pictures, <laughs> you know, like. No, I can tell you firsthand, yeah. like, nah. Like, you're not cut off from the world, dude. We, we're not in North Korea, like, we see you, you know, <laughs> like. Uh, yeah, very few. I mean, I would say probably twenty percent of people were actively wearing masks. Yeah, and then like some of the ones that were, they you know they would say stuff like government control device or like this mask doesn't work or Jesus. you know. <laughs> and then uh, is that what it was at the uh, places you were performing too? Yeah, Jesus. And so, like myself and the other comedians were taking it pretty seriously. So we just kind of huddled in the back with like piles of sanitizer and masks, and we're like, <laughs> you know, we're like, get away from us. But, uh, uh, the other thing was the crowds wouldn't shut the fuck up. Like it's not the comedy is not an audience participation art form. Like this isn't, this isn't dinner, dinner theater, murder mystery. Like shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Is it typically like, like that? In in South Florida or is it Tampa's in South Florida, right? Yeah. I guess. I mean, it was it, that was my first time there, so yeah, 
but from what I understood from the other comedians, they're like, yeah, this is pretty much how it goes. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's annoying. Yeah. I wrote these jokes on my own and they're designed to be told by just me. I had somebody stepped on one of my punchlines, like decently close to my closer too. And, uh, that I like went off. I was super pissed. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, uh, I mean, it's, 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 you don't get that too much here, but I mean, every once in a while you'll have a show that people go off the rails on and it's like, like sometimes I think it's I don't they're coming to see a comedian like a headliner that does a lot of yeah. work, so they might think like that like they're supposed to like participate with everybody. I don't you know I, I mean, I, like I just don't get it. Like that's just one of those common. You don't talk in a movie theater. You know you don't fucking talk at a comedy show. Shut the fuck up. Shut up. You're not funnier than me. You yeah. Just don't. yeah. I, I get it at bars, but not especially at a club setting where that's why you came. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That's, that's what you paid the money to come do is to watch a show. How do you don't really get to talk over it and ruin it for everybody else that also paid? Yeah, I had again last night, like uh, the one time I had somebody go, that's funny. I had somebody last night after after my uh, Budweiser Zero incest joke. They're like, they're like, that's a good one. I'm like, I know. Like, you know, like, I mean, like, what I the- thought so too. That's why I wrote it down and said it to you. People. <laughs> uh, God, it's so bad. But, uh, but yeah, Bob, we'll get into it a little bit. When did you, uh, how long ago did you start doing comedy? Like seriously doing comedy? Yeah. Um, November of 18. Okay. And did you, did you do comedy before you moved to LA? Or- I mean, a little bit, not a lot. Like I've always loved stand up comedy. So and when I was little, I used to like at family reunions and parties and stuff. I would like gather people around. When I would say little. I'm talking four or five years old. I would gather people around and like tell knock knock jokes and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then you know, as I started getting older, I would always get into the talent shows and do you know again little knock knock jokes, things like that. Um, I did it a little bit in college, where I actually was doing like a mic here and there, like a bar show here and there, but it was very few and far between. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're one of those guys that like, uh, I mean, you're one of my favorite comedians to watch. Oh, thank you. Um, and, and not that many like comics in the Cleveland area, unless they frequent funny stop, like really, really know who you are because you went, you're out in LA. Um, kind of like, uh, I don't know if you Rick Glassman. I just heard on Mark Maron. I didn't even know he was from Cleveland. I don't know. Yeah. He was one of those guys that like didn't do comedy until he went to LA. It's kind of kind of like throwing yourself into the fire a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's how I describe it as trial by fire. I mean, yeah. the good things about coming up in LA are, I mean, that you can, I was doing stand up six nights a week. So that helped. So I got in a year and a half the experience that it would take people in smaller markets maybe two or three years to get because i was just every night i was out doing shows um it's tough i mean it's tougher the stand the bar is higher so you kind of you have to be better to do anything to to be strong and to move into any to do anything um and it's all it's all networking yeah i can imagine it's what's all, this, you know, what's the stage time like out there? I mean, I've, I've heard awful stories about like open mics, things like that. It really depends on where you are. So okay. I was in the Valley, 
which is like the northern part of LA. Um, that's where like Burbank and Van Nuys and those kind of places are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked with a producer named Ryan Talmo, who d- does a bunch of stuff in the Valley. He's, you know, he's Valley famous. Yeah. And um, his, his shows were usually seven to 10 minutes, um, which is strong. You know, that's a lot of time. But if you're going out into like, I had a bunch of friends that would go over the hill and go into Hollywood. And that's where you're getting like three minutes if you buy a drink, you know, five five minutes if you buy food, like that kind of stuff. And they were always like, oh, Bob, why aren't you coming to Hollywood with us? Why aren't you coming to Hollywood with us? I'm like, because what I do, I can't do in two minutes. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure that gets expensive, incredibly expensive in that area. I mean, yeah, it's not cheap, but (laughs) yeah. like for me, I'm a storyteller. I can't, what am I going to do in two minutes? You guys have heard my stuff. What am I going to do in two minutes? Right. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard for, uh, I mean, you're even more of a storyteller than I am and it's hard for me to do anything in two minutes. I mean, that's, that's like a joke and a half maybe for me. I mean, for you, John Wesley would drive. yeah, for you, it's like not even a half a joke. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i did it a couple of times i went to hollywood and did it a couple of times but the other thing that i found was in the valley you might get you know 15 18 comics in the show uh at a mic you know so you, it's a little bit easier to get time you go into hollywood it's 50 you know so the crowds get mad restless too i mean you mm-hmm. look out here you got you know 20 something comedians doing five minutes at a time by the end you have to like apologize that there's more comics and- yeah audience just sits through it to see if the person they came to see won the contest or something out there Uh-oh. i can't imagine being at 40 comics for- brandon you're freezing up a little bit oh we lost brandon <laughs> oh man well, i mean it's that's true though i mean yeah like the the generally accepted rule was when you're doing a mic you do your time and then you stay for at least two others and then you can leave like that's the generally accepted like etiquette. You have to stay for at least two two people after you, and then you can leave, and you're it doesn't make you look like an asshole. <laughs> so like if you go up and you do your time, and then you immediately leave. Like I think I saw somebody do that in Funny Stop, and I came up to you guys. I was like, did that guy just leave right after his set? <laughs> that's like that's a faux pas. You're not really supposed. Yeah, to do. I mean, if you bomb, maybe you want to. <laughs> like, I don't oh god, <laughs> I saw I saw a dude. He and he's not a bad guy. He's just not. He's just not a bad guy, but he he was bombing at a mic and just had like had a meltdown and just dropped the mic, grabbed his little notebook and ran out of the bar. Oh man. And it was just like the crazy. And we had to go get the host because he was like outside smoking. We're like, yo dude, like there's nobody on stage right now. (laughs) Took off. That's bad. Yeah. That was pretty wild. That's the other fun thing about doing comedy in LA is you see a lot of really crazy shit. Yeah, I've seen a lot of crazy shit in uh, the Cleveland area in the past month. I mean, yeah, last time somebody ran out right after their set is because they set a hard R on stage. Oof, weren't black. Yeah, oof. Yeah. yeah, you can't do that. Nope. And then uh, uh, this past this past weekend at Grindstone, man, I it was a great show, um, great lineup, but I was pissed off for like half of the show because there was this dude behind me that I felt like I was the only person that could hear that was just like 
every time somebody did a, a remotely dark joke, he was like, what a dick, blah, blah. And he would be like, his <laughs> wife would laugh at it, and he'd be like, why are you laughing at that? He's fucking sick, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, like, he needs dude, to get laid. Shut the fuck up. Like, And he was like, not the type of dude that looks like he would get offended by things. Like, he was pretty sure he was wearing, like, a Harley leather vest, and he had, like, a... He had, like, slick back hair with a braided ponytail. Like, I don't, I don't know. Was... I mean, you just never know. Like, <laughs> I think it's hard with, with bars, too, because with a bar, not everybody's there for the comedy, so you're kind of doing comedy at some of them. Yeah. So I can understand how some people would be like, well, I'm not really here for this. And, you know, yeah, you don't want to say, like, okay, well, then leave. You know, but at the same time you still got to do your stuff. You still got to work out your stuff. This is how we do what we do. Yep. Um, if I know. could have heard that guy and I was on stage, I would have been, I would have been, I don't think the people on stage could hear him. So I, if I, if I, know I, I didn't, if I could have heard that guy and been on stage, I think I would have said something like, dude, if you don't like it, like there's another side of the bar you can go sit at and not listen. Like, you know, I mean, it's like, yeah, like, like the grindstone, the way it's set up is there's a room where we do the comedy and then there's another part of the restaurant that's like pretty much cut off from the comedy show. I mean, you could still hear it, but it's not like you're not interrupting if you like talk shit or something, you know, I mean, so it's it's a little and most of the people there now are there to see comedy. I mean, it's it's kind of that point. Yeah. But yeah, bar shows usually suck. That's what I was gonna say whenever you're talking about doing six nights in in L.A. Before the pandemic, you could do that in the Cleveland area, but most like the majority of them would be pretty shitty mics that you were doing. I mean, it was it would be like a couple people at a bar, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you get that here and there. Like, I just had a regular rotation, and I hit the same spots. I had a Sunday spot, a Monday spot, a Tuesday spot, you know. Um, and like my Monday spot was always just, it was me and a dozen other comedians. And this was just, it was a sandbox. It was, this is a, something I thought of this week and it's not fleshed out yet, but here we go. Yeah. Um, so that place was cool. I got offered meth at that venue one time. That was pretty exciting. <laughs> pretty wild. We just did um, a free entree. Goddamn. Right. It was crazy, man. I was outside having a cigarette and this dude comes up to me and he's like, well, he's going to come up to me, but he comes up and he's like digging through the ashtrays. He's very obviously homeless. And I think that's humiliating, right? Like that's so dehumanizing. So I'm like, here you go, buddy. I give him the guy a cigarette and he's, he's like, oh, thanks, man. Do you smoke clear? And I thought he was talking about a brand of cigarettes. And I was like, no, man, I smoke camels. <laughs> and he's, he's like, no, dude, clear. And he pulls a meth pipe out of his pocket. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. Good. Hard pass on the meth there, buddy. <laughs> I mean, nice of him. I'm sure meth is expensive. I don't know anything about meth, but it was nice That's of me. him. I'm not. Uh, no, maybe not. Maybe not the meth that a homeless guy would have. Would be, yeah. Maybe, maybe made it himself or something. But, but yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. So it, the valley is the valley like uh, like a nice section of LA, or is it? Like- <laughs> um, some of it. Yeah. 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 Like the part that I lived in was not. Um, yeah. I mean, it was nicer than other parts of LA. It's not South Central or, um, you know, those kinds of places. But yeah, I've never um, been there, so I have a hard time grasping like what <laughs> what it's like. You know, like you said, the valley that encompasses what like like three or four suburbs. No, quite a lot. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
so like the big ones that people from outside of LA would know would be like Burbank and Van Nuys, uh, maybe Northridge, okay. um, Chatsworth where they make all the porn. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's funny how nice these names sound until yeah. you add what they do there, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, the valley sounds great. It sounds yeah. very. You know, I loved the valley, like the Ventura Boulevard is in the valley, right? Um, which is, you know, have you ever heard that that free fallen song driving down Ventura Ventura Boulevard? Um, and that's like super nice, and it's it's really pretty, and it's right at the base of the the Hollywood Hills. Yeah, um, like Mulholland Drive is in the valley. Like there's the valley's pretty dope. Um. There yeah. are parts of the valley that aren't great, but I mean, there are parts of Cleveland that aren't great. Exactly. No, yeah, just... it makes sense when you talk about it like that because we uh, we talked to another LA comic, um, uh, Eric was Eric Escobar. Yeah, oh, Eric Escobar. Uh, yeah, super, super he, nice guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was telling us how there's like you know like seven to ten different scenes. Hundred percent. Like that's uh, that makes a lot more sense. Absolutely, there is. There's a valley scene. There's a Hollywood scene. There's a South Bay scene. There's an Inland Empire scene. Yeah, and the, and they don't mix. That's the crazy thing. Is it like if you're a Valley guy, you're a Valley guy. If you're if you're an IE guy, you're an IE guy. If you're a DTLA guy, you're a DTLA guy. Like they just they don't cross over. Yeah, it's really like when I would leave the Valley and go into Hollywood, it was always kind of you know it was like that scene from Lost where they encounter the others. You know what I mean? It was, <laughs> yeah. it was always weird. So, uh, but I I mean. If you're if you're trying to come up as a comedian, LA is the place to do it. It was awesome. It was great. Yeah. I think it's. I I think you kind of you get to a point where you have to have to make a decision of am I going to be a comedian or am I going to do comedy adjacent things. Um, and if you, if you're going to be a comedian, I think eventually you kind of have to bounce and and go to like a Chicago or a Toronto or a uh, New York. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But. Like, LA is great for comedy adjacent things. Like I had so many friends in comedy that were working in the television and film industry that were writing for TV shows and stuff like that, but they did comedy. Right. You know, as, as like a fun thing or, you know, to keep up their skills for, for other stuff. I've always heard it pitched as New York's the place to go. If you want to just do straight comedy, LA is the one to do. If you want to do comedy adjacent things, like you were saying, at least that's yeah. the way people make it sound. I mean, I loved LA. I miss LA every day. You know, I still wish I was in LA, um, but I'm really excited for this this next chapter and going to New York and and seeing what that's all about. Now looking forward to more snow. That's <laughs> the reason I left to go to LA. But uh, and so when did you uh, when did you meet when did you meet Sean Lynch and how did you start featuring for him? I met Sean Lynch at a shithole little bar uh, in a really bad part of the valley. <laughs> where uh where we where i would do stand up on sunday nights and uh he just happened to walk in with another guy named michael winslow not not the police academy michael. oh you got me all excited there for <laughs> i know i was I doing a show Sean... at flappers in burbank one time and they were like michael winslow's on the lineup and i was like what I Sean love those and michael winslow same night oh my god <laughs> so uh but uh i I did the I did my set or whatever and I got off stage and there was a dude there in an Ohio State Buckeyes shirt and I was like, Oh, what's up, OH? And we started talking and that was Sean. And um he was like, Wow, you were really good. Do you want to come do this show with me? And so I went and did, started did another show with him. 
uh, and then he and I just kind of became buddies and it, it eventually came to the point where he was like, Hey, I'm going, uh, he's like, you're from Ohio, right? And I'm like, yeah, dude. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to Akron to do some shows. You want to come do some shows with me in Akron? I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah, dude. So, <laughs> How weird was that? You meet this comic in LA and he's like, he's like, I like going to Akron. <laughs> it was, it was bizarre. Like for me to move to LA and then have my first road gig be 15 minutes from where I grew up. Like, I don't know that you could have written a better story. You know, like it just, the, just the coincidence of that was pretty bananas. And then to go and do, you know, Boston and, and to do some of the other fun shows that I've done with him. And then he uh, got me this work in Florida that I just went and did he's been really, really helpful to me into my career. And he, you know, he's really taken yeah. me under his wing and it's been great. And that's, I get a lot of people who are like, Oh, you're only two years in. Like, you know, I, I hate you, but then I'm like, dude, I got really lucky. And I met a guy who believes in me and he's helped me out. Yeah. Like, dude, I mean, the, I mean, that's for one thing, it is, it is shocking to hear that you're only two years in because you're so good. Um, thank you. But, um, that's what I heard. You know, I heard uh, Bert Kreischer got some shit for for uh, talking shit. He didn't, wasn't really talking shit. He said something about how Kevin Hart saying that uh, always saying that it was all of his hard work is is why he's at where he's at and and whatnot. And it's all hard work. And he's like, no, it's not all hard work. It's 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 being funny, hard work and luck. Like it's, you know, I mean, and that's, I tell that to all yeah. the young guys too. Yeah. They come up to me and they're like, how do I get to where you are? And I'm like, be lucky, be really, really lucky, be stupidly lucky. Yeah. And I mean, there are, the there are, work. yeah, there are things that you can do that increase the odds of being lucky. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you need to write every day. You need to record every set. You need to, you know, you need to really focus and, and uh, keep your head out of the mud of because comedy scenes are are just middle school cafeterias <laughs> i mean it's just yeah I, I, every time i'm i'm in a new city and the the younger guys or the the locals come up to me they're like what i mean what, what kind of advice do you have for me i'm like keep your head out of the mud dude yeah because they'll drag you right down if it, you know it there are things that you can do that increase the odds of being lucky but like don't think for a second i don't understand that like yeah i think i'm talented and i think i've got some pretty good material but also like i got really lucky yeah that's yeah, and very tough in this industry i'm sure i mean there's a lot of people that are really talented and have really good material so it's it's not just a matter of being funny unfortunately i mean i'm sure that's why we all get into this no one wants to be into this for fucking drama or this scene or that scene you know you just want to be the funniest guy you can be so that's, yeah. i agree with you by saying it's a little misleading to say that you're doing this for two years because to me, like two Bob McClure years are a lot different than two years for a lot of other people. We're <laughs> only doing this a couple nights a week for two years versus six days a week in LA. You know, it's, it's a little different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh, if I could give advice to people about it, it's hard work and, it's, but it's also listening and taking advice from people. And, you know, when you have your friends in comedy that you trust that you run jokes by and shit when they tell you a joke sucks trust them you know i mean it's yeah. it's it's if it's if they think it sucks you probably didn't didn't come across in the right way you know what i mean i mean that's you have to you can revisit it later and try to rewrite it or whatever but usually when your friends tell you a joke sucks it sucks 
I mean, generally, generally, I won't get like upset if somebody's like, "Hey, can I give you a tag or can I give you a note or something like that?" Because your perspective matters. Like, there's you yeah. probably seeing something that I don't. I get a little pissed off when audience members do that shit to me, but like, <laughs> but like if another comedian is like, "Hey, maybe drop this word or or maybe add this or come at it from this angle," that I always kind of I listen to and I look at and I say, "Okay, maybe this does make more sense." Yeah, uh, I'll take a tag from anybody. I won't do a a joke that somebody like tries to give me word for word how they want me to do it but i'll do a i'll do a tag that somebody gives me and see if oh yeah me. why not <laughs> you know oh totally make the joke better it's, yeah but it's uh bob you've helped me out a lot um honestly just watching you i mean it's it's you're you're just really good at what you do you're uh we talked about it last week the your voice inflections like like are a big part of your comedy and it's mm-hmm. And it's just great to watch where you get that growl going, you know, <laughs> it's, it's great, man. But uh, I don't know. I just love watching you because I mean, you do, you do material about being bisexual and yeah. whatnot and mostly in a pretty conservative place in Cuyahoga Falls at funny stop whenever, and, and you have the whole crowd dying and it's just because it's just written good and you get them on your side and it's not, you know, I think you like, I think you, you're one of those people that could possibly like change, change people's perspective on, on shit like that. Because I, oh, that's I, very, that's very sweet of you. I mean, that. I'll just tell you like Cuyahoga Falls is not a very, like, not a very liberal place. It's not. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> and, it's, and it's great to, to see you do that kind of material and kill with it. I mean, it's, awesome so like quite frankly like that is who i am and yeah if you have a problem with that you can eat my entire ass i don't, I don't <laughs> but like <laughs> for me i'm not up there to change somebody's mind i'm not up there to to say i'm right or i'm wrong or this that or the other thing what i really think the power of stand-up comedy is and i'm going to get super pretentious here for a second <laughs> but what i really think that the power of stand-up comedy is is that it is one of those art forms where, where you can really see the world through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do on the stage. I'm trying to get the audience to see the world the way that I see the world. Yeah. And so for me, I can't give you that perspective unless you know these things about me because that informs the way that I look at the world. Um, also like it, it truly is that a lot of people don't have a ton of experience with bisexual men and they especially don't have a lot of experience with straight presenting bisexual men. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's 100% true, especially in this area. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's, that's part of the thing that you do. That's, that's great is that you're taking something that was, I mean, I'm sure at one time was like not fun for you to talk about, not fun for you to come to grips with. And mm-hmm. you and you've made it funny. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> oh yeah, that, I I beat that down for a number of years. When I started uh, like coming out to friends and family, like when I came out to my best friend, uh, I was like, hey man, you know, I just want to tell you, I've been you know I've been doing a lot of thinking, and I you know I'm, I'm bisexual. And uh, he was his exact wording to me was, I don't want to minimize any personal struggle this might have been for you, but fucking duh. Like, <laughs> 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 so, so like if you like people that know me in my personal life i apparently was not hiding it very well but uh uh you know i thought i was but 
it took me a long time to talk about it on stage. It was really, really terrifying to talk about it on stage. When I first started doing comedy in LA, I worked entirely clean, which I mean, you guys have seen what I do now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I just didn't talk about, it. I didn't talk about it because I was so afraid of it's going to seem disingenuine or it's going to get me judged. It's going to get, uh, it's going to piss people off. You know, because I, I really, I came from that like Catholic guilt, like beat, beat the gay down. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so when I finally did it on stage, I think the biggest thing for me was I did uh, at the, at the mic I felt the most comfortable at, who were all my friends, and I did ten minutes on it. Um, and I got off stage, and and a comedian friend of mine, Wendy, came up to me and just hugged me and said that was really brave of you, and I'm really proud of you. And that's when I was like, okay, cool. Like that weight is off my shoulders. Yeah. <laughs> I can talk about this now. And I ended it's, up finding some really cool material. Yeah. It's, it's brave and proud, but you did 10 minutes solely on bisexuality. Yeah. That is diving into a topic, my friend. That's yeah. impressive right there alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, here's, here's every joke I've ever thought about for this. Let's, <laughs> let's see what sticks. And some of it stuck and some of it's still in the act. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, I I, uh, I imagine that would be hard to do for the first time. Um, but and you don't and you don't like and and you're not one of those people that like you know takes one one thing about you and relies on that one thing throughout your act. I think you you have a pretty good representation of like who you are as a whole in your comedy. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's uh, like I love your I love your story you did about. Your story you did about uh, getting hammered at the Indians game. Oh man! Like, like, like all that shit is great, man. Uh, you have absolutely yeah. ruined hunting. Anytime I think of hunting, oh my god, I forgot. About yeah, that. like You're the welcome. whole. I'm like, no, I can't even think of. Anytime someone tells me that, I'm like, it's kind of gay. It's a little gay. It's pretty yeah. gay. <laughs> Realistically, I need to find some. I need to find something else for that joke because the first one doesn't work that well. But uh, football and hunting seem to work pretty well. And they are. They're just, they're very gay. And that's the thing that always, like, bugs me about these super macho, like, oh, I would never do that kind of guys. I'm like, a lot of things that you do are very, very gay. And you just, like, soapbox. Like, like queer people have influenced a lot more of art and culture than I think we're willing to admit. Um, So, like, a lot of things that people do and participate in and i mean there's there there's queer in all of it oh yeah um (laughs) you know the like the computers invented by a gay man like for me it's you know that that bit came out of a conversation i had with another comedian where he was like i literally just don't understand anything about being gay and i'm like but you do yeah, like, you you really realize. really too you realize quite a bit of it. <laughs> so i don't know i think it's the leg hair for me i see other guys and i'm like i couldn't it's the leg hair alone one brushes up against you i think it would really kill the mood but each mm-hmm. each to their own man each to their I, own uh, man. that's not i'm not into super hairy dudes i'm not into like otters and stuff i'm more into like twinks and and very feminine men that's what yeah. i'm into um uh, we'll get into uh we'll transition off of that into some news here about someone who i'm sure is <laughs> is probably not very uh in tune with gay people um we're gonna talk about marjorie taylor green oh god that friggin' <laughs> woman 
Uh, perfect. Perfect. Talked about her last week, but uh, this week she had her uh, committee stripped from her. So, Good. Yeah, this is from uh, CBS this morning, earlier this week. We're going to begin in Washington and stay in Washington for now, where the Democratic-led House voted last night to punish newly elected Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene for endorsing false conspiracy theories in the past. Greene told the House she now rejects the claim that school shootings like the one in Parkland, Florida, were staged and the 9-11 attacks never happened. Chris Van Cleve is on Capitol Hill for us. Chris, good morning to you. How did Greene's fellow Republicans respond? Well, good morning. Eleven Republicans. That's one more than the number that voted to impeach former President Trump a month ago, voted with Democrats to strip Congresswoman Green of her two committees, the Education Committee and the Budget Committee. That included three Republicans from South Florida. Now, Green had a cast doubt on whether or not the Parkland shooting had happened in one of the conspiracy theories she has spread. Uh, that clearly was a factor in those votes. This as uh, the bulk of the Republican Party backed green as that party now has to figure out its way forward. The yeas are 230 and the nays are 199. The resolution is adopted. In a mostly party line vote, the House stripped Georgia Republican Marjorie Taylor Greene from her committee assignments. I will be protecting freedom of speech. Greene, who previously spread hateful and violent conspiracy theories, and Mrs. Green tried Thursday to walk back her controversial comments. See, school shootings are absolutely real. I also want to tell you 9-11 absolutely happened. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. My <laughs> blood pressure is so high right now. <laughs> I mean, <sighs> she actually had to go on the floor of Congress and say 9-11 absolutely happened. I mean, I'm not, like, against, I'm not against conspiracy theories. I'm just saying pick better ones. Yeah. I mean, if she would say that maybe JFK wasn't just shot by Lee Harvey Oswald or the moon landing was fake. Fine. We would probably give those a pass. We'd well, be like, fine. whatever. She did say that she did say that Jews controlled a space laser that started the California wildfires. So Charlie Weiner invented it. You didn't know. <laughs> God, it just makes me so angry. And 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 it makes me so angry, not because she said and did and believes those things. It makes me angry because she said and didn't believe those things and got elected to Congress. That yeah. makes me really angry. And not only got elected to Congress, but was put on the education committee. That makes me incredible. That makes me How? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like I don't talk about politics in my act and that's a very conscious choice. Uh, but I am a very politically charged person and Oh boy, does she make me angry? And, How? and uh, like, how was the vote that close either? I mean, goddamn, I understand that it's a party line, but really? No, no one, no one's me off is that Liz Cheney's going on all these shows and being like, being like, we are not the party of conspiracy theories and blah, 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 and all this shit. And it's like, yes, the fuck you are. There's 11 of you. That yeah. voted, that means you're in the minority. Like, what are you? What are you talking? Well, and they tried to remove Liz Cheney from her position in the party right. because she voted to impeach Trump. And they were walking around grandstanding, saying, "We're going to kick you out." And then when they went to a secret ballot, they lost horribly. Right. Yeah. So, like, th that's the other thing that bothers me is it's so much posturing. It's so much just. I'm saying 
you, you're you're not voting your conscience. You're not voting what you believe is right. You're voting party line, and that's not that's not how you run a country. You can't run a country like that. Yeah, they're the party of posture, no. and they're the party of Matt Gates and Jim Jordan. That's that's who they are. I mean, that's <laughs> just God. Does that bother me? Oh man, it's crazy. Um, I was talking yeah. to a coworker the other day, and it was we were talking about how back in in the day as a kid, I mean, you would see. Republicans and Democrats and one would say I want higher taxes and small government and the other party calling those guys fucking lunatics now it's whether or not a school shooting happened like what happened to the good old days you know I miss disagreeing over like what happened to the days when the person that was shouting Jewish people have a space laser that starting wildfires was on the corner and your mother would be like don't get too close don't get too close yeah right like what happened to that yeah or what happened to um, like this past four years where that became okay to say, but criticizing Israel makes you anti-Semitic. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. Like, they've blurred the line so much with where it's like Israel is Judaism instead of Judaism being Judaism. <laughs> like, it's it's crazy, man. Like, they're a state, they're a state, not a religion, uh, but the Republican Party treats it like the complete opposite. Like, Democrats are are anti-semitic because they criticize trump's policy with israel like letting them just take settlements all over the place and shit i mean it's it's crazy but that stuff's just that's part of the new that's part of the new republican party and what they've become i mean it's just a bunch of grandstanding and posturing like bob said it's it's not so comfortable yeah go to a little global news we check in with our boy alexi navalny and, uh, this is from the uh, Shep Smith show. He got sentenced this week. In court has ordered the Putin opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, to spend more than two and a half years in prison. He appeared in court today in a glass cage. The sentence comes from an embezzlement conviction back in 2014. Police arrested Alexei Navalny last month after he returned to Russia for the first time since somebody poisoned him last summer. He claims Vladimir Putin was behind that botched assassination. Navalny's arrest triggered demonstrations in major cities across Russia. Officers reportedly reportedly arrested more than 5,000 people over the weekend. Authorities had warned the rallies were illegal. For more on Navalny's sentence, here's NBC's Matthew Bodner. Well, there's a lot of things that we can say about what happened today, but for me, what sticks out is the performance of Alexei Navalny in court. He brought with him this very characteristic sense of humor, uh, mocking the proceedings throughout. But he also brought with him this really uh, profound, fiery sense of defiance and gave this remarkable courtroom speech in which he said the only thing he's guilty of is surviving an assassination attempt and then returning to Russia to show Vladimir Putin the man that Navalny says ordered that assassination attempt to show that he's not afraid. And throughout the hearings, he kept referring to Putin as this old man sitting and hiding in a bunker. Meanwhile, outside of the court, the scene was no less dramatic. The Russian opposition staged a rally outside of the court. The police response was strong. About 300 were arrested by the end of this nine-hour court hearing today. And then they continued into the city after the verdict was issued, where they were met by an even more significant police response uh, as vast parts of the city center went into a security lockdown. Now, it is obvious at this point that the Russian opposition will continue to protest uh, for his release. This will definitely be a rallying cry. But the big question now is what Western governments uh, will do, what they can do. We saw 
very swift rounds of condemnations from most Western governments, uh, including the United States, uh, the new Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, condemning it and calling for his release. But again, this big question is, what can the West do and will they do it? Shep? So the reason, the real, the supposed reason for his uh, sentencing conviction is a violation of parole uh, for leaving Russia. And he, we all know, like, he left Russia because he had to go get medical attention in Germany. You know, <laughs> I mean, because Putin poisoned him. I mean, it was... I guess a coma doesn't hold up as an alibi in Russia. <laughs> and I love how they're like, he speculates that Vladimir Putin ordered it, even though they admitted to Vladimir Putin ordering <laughs> it. Yeah. To Alexei, like, he's got it yeah. recorded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't Jeff, know how that doesn't hold up. Jeff Smith is formerly of Fox News, so he doesn't get everything right. He's no, he's I guess still, not. He's still having some. He's still having some uh, Fox News tendencies every once in a while. I just think but, if OJ got off, Alexei could too. I don't. Maybe if he would have had Johnny Cochran in there, he could have got him. What really terrifies me, though, is that is that the way that Russia is set up, kind of this oligarchical dictatorship, uh, like. We got real, real close to that, like, yeah, like, yeah. like closer than I'm ever gonna be comfortable with. And like, obviously, Putin tried to kill Navalny. Obviously, like, that's it, yes, obviously that happened. Um, Russia is an interesting case because what can you do to them? Yeah, like, sure, you can sanction them, but like at some point you're going to need the gas. Yeah. The, I mean, the people have to rise up. I mean, that's, that's it. That's Man, they're trying choice. Yeah. And um, I think what they were saying there about Navalny in a courtroom is uh, very, very intelligent from him. And just knowing, just knowing Russia's history um, is all it takes is, uh, you know, him saying that Putin is is trying to convey Putin is like this old man in a bunker going crazy and doing crazy shit because that's what happened to Joseph Stalin. And everybody knows everybody knows that story in Russia. So he's doing something pretty smart there by trying to say that Putin's turning into Stalin well, and, to, and to make a farce of a thing that is a farce. You know what I mean? The, the, to, to really bring it out into the daylight and be like, this is a kangaroo court. Yeah, and he gave Putin a new nickname. Is Putin the Poisoner? Yeah, <laughs> he's trying to kind of spit on his legacy a little bit. I mean, you you poison the guy's boxer briefs. Yeah, you're gonna get some shit for that. Yes, yeah. not gonna go down as well. I mean, I didn't really think that Putin was barreling towards a great legacy, but no, this certainly was the icing on that cake. No, not not a. Uh, I don't know though, man. In 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 communist countries with communist dictators. They seem to like completely like rewrite history after after I mean look at like how like worshipped Chairman Mao is in China and he was like a vicious dictator that killed millions millions of Chinese people. One of the first things they do is they go after the artists, man. You you go after the artists and the thinkers. Yeah. Um no, I don't necessarily agree that Russia is still like a communist country. I think they're an oligarchy, but um, yeah. Well, there's never any true communist country. No, there hasn't been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, hey, political science minor, here we go. Uh, 
<laughs> but uh, th- there hasn't been because in order to actually be communist, according to Marx and Engels, you have to like get there naturally. You have to progress to that point. So to try and force it, obviously it's not going to work. Um, yeah. But like I said, what can you really do to Russia? Because whenever anybody in Europe has tried to stand up to Russia, Russia just shuts off the gas. So what can you, what can you really do? Go electric. Yeah. <laughs> they are, man. Electric yeah. vehicle sales now out, outperformed gas vehicles in Europe. Yeah, I mean, in America, even GM announced that they're going all electric by, what, 2030, I think? Oh, and I missed the boat on that Nikola. Ford Ford said that they have an announcement coming up, so. Volvo's doing the same thing. They're going all, all hybrid, all electric by 2025. I mean, it's just going to be the wave of the future. It just is. It's going to be harder in middle America because the infrastructure doesn't quite exist here yet. But, like, on the coasts, man, like in L.A., there are, uh, there are chargers hanging off of streetlights. Yeah, that's cool as fuck, actually. Yeah, yeah. And just plug into plug into the streetlight. Damn. Oh, we have the the uh, probably the biggest story in the world this week was uh, Myanmar. So I got a clip from yeah news about that. This morning, thousands of people have taken to the streets of Myanmar to protest at the army's seizure of power earlier this week. President Biden and the United Nations have called for the country's military leaders to relinquish power and to release activists and officials. In increasing signs of resistance to the coup, people from all walks of life are mounting a campaign of civil resistance. Roxana Saberi reports from our London Bureau. Thousands of protesters spilled into the streets of Myanmar's largest city on Saturday, chanting down with the military dictatorship and holding up three finger salutes, signs that critics of last Monday's coup are growing bolder. As the demonstration swelled, authorities restricted internet access and broadened a ban on social media. This follows a week of other peaceful displays of defiance, with residents banging on pots and pans night after night, and some doctors and teachers refusing to work. This woman says, we don't want anyone who steals power and then forms their own government. Since seizing power last Monday, Myanmar's military has declared it would stay in power for at least a year. The commander-in-chief alleges November's parliamentary elections were fraudulent, a claim dismissed by the country's election commission. The governing party of Aung San Suu Kyi won in a landslide. Now she's under house arrest, as she had been for 15 years, struggling against previous military rule before a troubled democratic transition began in 2011. Suu Kyi had turned into a symbol of peaceful resistance, But critics say after she became the nation's top civilian leader in 2015, she failed to address the army's deadly crackdown on Myanmar's minority Rohingya Muslims. Entire villages were destroyed and hundreds of thousands fled to neighboring Bangladesh. The UN called it ethnic cleansing. Still widely adored at home, Suu Kyi now faces a possible prison term over the charge of illegally importing walkie-talkies. As restrictions on the internet grow, so too do concerns that the country and its people will once again live in isolation. For CBS This Morning Saturday, Oksana Saberi, London. Yeah, so uh, that's apparently importing walkie-talkies is a major crime. (laughs) The real crime is that they're still called walkie-talkies, like by... (laughs) By major military powers, like I need more walkie-talkies. Like we couldn't have come up with anything better than that. It sounds awfully <laughs> like, childish. Yeah, it I mean, really does. 
<laughs> they're gonna be they're gonna be like having Paw Patrol on them or something. You're ordering airstrikes <laughs> with the uh, like calling guns are now like bang bang sticks like imagine yeah. <laughs> militaries ordering lots of bang bang sticks or something but like also good talkies. good for the people of myanmar uh like fight back dude yeah, government only comes from the consent of the governed so it's a little weird that they're holding up the hunger game symbol i don't know that's uh <laughs> i didn't know they <laughs> had like i didn't know they had like I guess they are like ten years behind on Western movies and stuff, probably. Over yeah, there, so that's probably big there. No, yeah. but, uh, Isn't it a Boy Scout thing too? John would know. Uh it's uh, there's a, it's a little different. The Hunger Games thing, I think, is just like three fingers like that, whereas the yeah. Boy Scouts is like is like that. <laughs> you got to tuck them in. <laughs> both a symbol of the victimized and oppressed. Yeah, for real, definitely both a symbol of the victimized. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, fight back, man. Yeah, but Satsuchi is kind of like a, it's kind of like a black eye on on the on the world because you know she was given the Nobel Peace Prize and then she was given power in Myanmar and then she like allowed the military to keep carrying out a genocide basically um but i don't think i actually think that this hasn't been said anywhere so this is just me speculating i actually think that she never had power i think i think the military made a deal with her where they're like we'll let you out of house arrest if and you can assume the role as leader but we're still going to be in charge basically is what i think happened and maybe she got popping off at the mouth a little bit and they're like fuck this we're done you know, I mean, I mean, they were a military junta for a really long time, though. So what what concerns me the most about um, the way that that's being done is that is the justification being fraudulent elections. Yeah. So I think you're going to come to a real headway here soon in in countries that operate with elections where anytime somebody loses, it's just going to be fraudulent elections. And it's it's you're really opening up a Pandora's box for potential problems where somebody can say, well, look at what happened in Myanmar. Those were fraudulent elections and the military had to stop step in or, you know, look at what happened in the United States. Those were fraudulent elections and the people had to rise up and storm the Capitol or, you know, that, that kind of stuff I think sets a really dangerous precedent. Yeah. I was going to say, hmm, I wonder where they got that idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> I believe it happened in Africa too. There was an election not too long ago where the same thing, you know, Person lost, fraudulent election, military uprising. That's oh, um, I don't Nigeria? Say yeah, I thought it was Nigeria, but I could I could be wrong. Yeah, there actually, I mean, there actually has been some fraudulent elections. Oh, of course, there have been. Yeah, but but uh, this one this one was actually like investigated by I think it's like the UN's the UN's Democracy Panel or whatever, and they found there's no fraud. Like basically what happened is the military was cool with her being the leader whenever it was like her party having 60% of the power and their party having 40% of the power. But in the past election, her party won 80% of the power and they were like, Oh, we can't fucking have this. We don't have any power anymore. So then they fucking staged a coup and took back over basically. Maybe we should do it like teachers giving your paper to another student to grade. We'll just have other countries manage the uh, the ballots and all that stuff. Yee. Independent. <laughs> yeah. Well, the U.S. has That's been messing around in other people's politics for a really long time, and it hadn't always worked well. Yeah. And by always worked well, I mean it's never worked well. So. No. <laughs> 
Yeah. Did like, you guys see the video of like the lady doing aerobics and then the the jeeps and the tanks roll past her to go do the coup? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, there's a video of a lady like outside of outside of the you know whatever the Myanmar's government building is called. I don't know. That's ignorance on my part. But she's just like doing an aerobics video. She's like in a tra- in a tracksuit, just like doing an aerobics <laughs> video, and these vehicles just roll by her. To go up and it's like, oh, that's the coup that's happening right now, yeah. right behind her in this workout video. You think they use anything like that for the Pelotons now? Like yeah, seriously. Into it and have the episode where there's a coup rolling by in the background. <laughs> Pedal harder, they're coming for you. you shit, get away. <laughs> Uphill. <laughs> one more, one more quick political thing. I just like we we suffered for four years through like the worst press briefings and not having press briefings for a long time. And uh, I just think Jen Psaki, Biden's press secretary, is awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to play a short clip from one. I assume this reporter is from, like, OAN or something, um, which I don't know why they didn't. I'm just like going to hate it, but all right, let's roll. I didn't know what why they didn't, like, retract those guys' press credentials. <laughs> but, but, yeah, this is from a press briefing. I thought it was just pretty awesome to have someone that knows how to do their job doing it. Two rather quick questions, then a little bit more meaty one, if that's okay. I like the setup, so I can know it's to prepare for. Go ahead. Have teachers in my family, as I'm sure many of you do. Um, they are the first people to tell you that being uh, teaching in the classroom and being able to engage with kids in the classroom or middle schoolers or high schoolers in the classroom, it makes their job more enjoyable, makes them more effective at what they do. The president is absolutely committed to reopening schools. He wants them not just to reopen, but to stay open. And he wants to do that in a safe way. And we're going to rely on CDC guidance, uh, which, again, is not officially out yet, to determine the best way to do it. But there are several mitigating factors that we've seen in data to date that will help make it safe. Of course, vaccines are part of that, but so is masking, so is social distancing, so is ensuring that schools have the ventilation and the um, facilities that they need in order to do it safely. That's our focus. So the president's focus is on, and that's one of the reasons why he's out advocating for the American Rescue Plan. Part of that is funding so that schools can do exactly that. That sounded like a yes with an asterisk. You I, 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 if you are the spokesperson for the White House, you could certainly say that, but you are not. <laughs> I mean, like, how did that sound like a yes at all? <laughs> at all? That sounded like a complete conditional was yeah. what I was getting out of it. Dude, no, he's not going to pressure teachers to go back to school. He's going to pressure schools to open safely so teachers don't have to worry about going back to school. Well, and you know what? Huzzah. Like, if you're going to ask a question like that, that's that's worded in such a way to make her seem uh, it's it's a trap question. Yeah. You know, but really what you did is you set it up for her to spike it. Um, and I love that the this this party has come into power and has basically just said, well, get out of our way. We're do, we're doing. Yeah, we're doing what we're going to do. Like when they with the with the covid relief bill, which is desperately needed. Um, and all of a sudden we have a problem with adding to the deficit, which over the last four years, we had no problem adding eight yeah. trillion dollars to the deficit. Um 
all of a sudden that's a huge major issue and they sent it over and they met with the with the republicans and the republicans said well no we don't want to do this and then the democrats said well they're gonna anyway yeah like well, I, I mean dude, it's kind of disingenuous to say that a 1.9 trillion dollar covid relief bill is too high of a price tag when what three and a half years ago you passed a 1.3 trillion dollar tax cut for the wealthy like i mean that's like you can't really <laughs> also i'm so, like 1.9 trillion is too much for americans that are starving and getting kicked out of their homes right how do you sell that to your constituency yeah and it's yep. not like there's no return on that i mean you're you're giving this money out to businesses and people and those types of situations so they can go stimulate 100%. the economy and it's going to come back anyway trickle down has never worked it's never worked and, and there's multitudes of, of of evidence that says trickle down doesn't work what works is you give money to the people at the at the bottom because they're the ones that need it and will spend it yeah. when you give money to people at the top it just goes into an offshore account they throw it at the market uh, uh, you know what i mean yeah you know and it just sits somewhere whereas if like for me if you gave me two thousand dollars right now, I would I'd have to spend it all. I would get caught up on bills. I would, you know, I'd buy things that I need. Like it would go right immediately back into the economy. Yeah, and the one part of the bill I didn't like uh, was the fifteen dollar minimum wage hike because I think it should be a gradual thing over over course of years um, because it would cause inflation if if you just upped it to fifteen dollars from what seven twenty five I think is the federal minimum wage. Um, and that's not going to be able to happen through reconciliation because it's a regulation. So I'm, I'm fine with that. Um, I, I think those ones, uh, it, it's a little harder on small businesses for sure. I mean, I understand yeah. how larger corporations would be able to manage that. It wouldn't really be a big deal, but mom and pop places might not be able to handle well, something no, like that. You do it like Seattle, 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 up the minimum wage to $15 over five years. And, and what it did is it, it did it slowly so it didn't cause inflation. Um, but five years isn't that slow. You know, I mean, the, considering yeah. we haven't had a minimum wage increase in like 20 years, it seems like five years isn't that long of a period of time. It doesn't cause inflation and it lowered their poverty rate by like 4%. So, I mean, that's that's your goal in the end is to lower the poverty rate. So, so like, obviously, I'm not an economist, right? I'm a I'm a comedian with a theater degree but like yeah. <laughs> uh for me where i struggle when 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 i hear the argument of like oh small businesses won't be able to deal with the 15 dollar an hour minimum wage they absolutely will like it just ch it changes the way that you do business like obviously a major corporation again eat my ass truly yeah. like yeah i i saw uh, uh somebody did a did a report that said if Walmart was going to pay every single one of their employees $15 an hour, it would cause them to have to raise the prices on some, not all, but some of their products by a penny. Like, Oh God, no. The yeah. $15 minimum wage or, or the $20 minimum wage exists in a lot of the Scandinavian countries. And a uh, big Mac is like 40 cents more. So <laughs> yeah, like I just think if you did it all at once, businesses would raise their prices, even if they didn't have to, they would raise their prices to, because they think they have to to pay especially small businesses they don't have the super like accounting firms like the corporations do and everything you know i mean and i just think that's why it would cause it would cause people that have that make 20 dollars an hour now to be bumped down to like lower middle class which is so like obviously i think 
if, if you're looking at um, saying, oh, I make or the minimum wage needs to be to be hiked to 15 an hour, that also should affect everyone else across the economy. If you're yeah. if you're a plumber making thirty dollars an hour, then cool. Why are you mad at the at the dude? working at mickey d's saying i need a living wage you should be mad at the dude that's not paying you for your what your labor is worth that's who your enemy is it's not the yeah. it's not the guy that needs to be able to pay rent it's the dude that's buying a second boat like that's <laughs> right that's who who your anger should be directed at yeah so like yeah if you're going to raise the federal minimum wage wages should be raised across the board yeah, oh, of course. I think like that's why I think like if you do it over five years, that would happen where it, they would be cost of living raises every year. Whereas if you raise it from seven twenty five to fifteen dollars in one like at an instant, I don't think that people that make above fifteen dollars an hour now are going to get eight dollar raises all of a sudden. Like, I don't I don't see that happening. Well, I'm on that page a little bit. I mean, there's there's a lot of greed towards the top. And I mean, if they have any excuse to raise prices on anything, usually that's probably what's going to happen. I don't see. I think generosity. the market will regulate itself, though. I think I'll if never, you yeah. say, if you say, okay, then we're just gonna we're just gonna spike the cost of everything. Okay, I'm just not gonna buy it then. Yeah, that's what I hope for. I mean, yeah. ideally, but who knows? I mean, California's got a fifteen dollar minimum wage, and they're the eighth largest economy in the world. Yeah. That's see that's that's another thing I, I wasn't really sure about. I mean, how's that going to affect things as far as uh, other states? Because I mean, certain states have higher minimum wages, certain states have you know higher cost of living, that type of thing. You know, it's going to be a little bit different based on the area. I'm I'm sure. You know, like California, a fifteen dollar minimum wage, like you said, it's not really that's not going to affect them. They've already been doing that. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into uh, let's get into Bob's comedian that he brought us uh, that influenced him. Um, John Panette, and he passed away, right? Yeah, a couple years ago. Okay, I thought so. Um, yeah, how did he influence you as a comedian? Um, John Panette was the first comedy album I ever had. I had, uh, I had I'm Starving. I bought it with my birthday money when I was a little kid, and I used to put it in this little CD boombox that I had, and I would set it right next to my bed and turn the volume down really low. And as I was falling asleep, I would just listen to this album on repeat. Um, because I think when you, when you listen to, and especially listen to this bit, you'll, you'll, you'll see the influence you'll, you know, if you've seen me work and you've seen what I do, um, John Panette talks about, he's a big guy and he talks about food and he talks about, you know, being a big guy and all that kind of stuff. But he talks a lot about that little voice in his head. Uh, and for me, what I'm doing on stage is a personification of that voice in my head. Yeah, like like who I am in front of a microphone is is the voice in my head, um, yes. and this is just a fun bit. I like this. Bit. <laughs> I like this bit a lot. I think the punch is really funny. So, all right, we'll play the bit and then we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. This is from his special. I'm starving. This is John Panette. There's this ice cream place that I go to in Vegas called Cold Stone Creamery. And it's good. Do they have it here? Ha ha ha. It's really tasty, but it's the ice cream, and then they mix the toppings in. Very browsy. And I was back off the road. I was driving to my house in Vegas, and I saw the Cold Stone Creamery. And I told the driver, pull over, I'm getting an ice cream. It was like a million degrees. 
And he said, not now, because I have another pickup. So he wipes the blood from his head. <laughs> Says, I could use an ice cream too. Besides, I'm a little dizzy. I really shouldn't be driving right now. So I go into this line at Cold Stone Creamery, and it's out the door. And I'm trying to be nice, but people are browsing up there. The little man in my head is now going, Every stupid question people ask, this, I, I have like an Ewok-like growl. For every stupid question, this coupon is expired. Can I still use it? I'm lactose intolerant. Are toppings extra? I didn't think toppings were extra. How big is your small? Can I see it? It's small! That small's a small. It's $2. Here's 20. Buy 11 of them. I love John Panette, dude. <laughs> he turned waiting in line for ice cream into comedy gold. I love it. Yeah. And I have that voice in my head, in line, especially in like gas stations when people are doing lottery. I'm like, just, oh. Argh, yeah. Argh, yeah. Get my I just want to buy this Frappuccino. Get out of my way. I have that with my, my mom, of all people, because she calls me 24 7 and she asks me the same question every time she calls me. Right when I pick up the phone, it's, hey, what are you doing? And that can be at like, 525 when I'm still at work and just about to get off at 530 and I work in nine to five. So she knows that's when I get off. So it drives me nuts when especially when she waits till 531 to call me and ask what I'm doing. Like, you know what I'm doing. And then I hear it in my head. Stop asking. <laughs> well, what I like about that bit, too, is that John Panette, like that bit doesn't work if you don't know that John Panette's like a like, well, no, it would still work, but like, it helps that bit that, that, you know, that John Panette's a big dude. Right. Yeah. But that bit isn't making fun of being a big dude. That bit is making fun of like, like, I know exactly what I'm getting at every fast food restaurant at every place I ever go, who changes their order at Chipotle. Like nobody ever, you get, you get the same thing that you got 20 years ago. Yeah. Like it's the same thing at, at McDonald's at Wendy's at freaking Taco Bell. I know exactly what I'm getting when I pull up. Why are you browsing? Get out of the line. Like <laughs> yeah. It's something everybody can relate to. If it was a bit about him just being a big guy, it would be less relatable, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that's what I really liked about him. Yeah, I think that's the trick that, that he does well is is uh, to do in jokes about being overweight is to not make them like strictly about being overweight, but the things that surround being overweight, you know, <laughs> like, it's, yeah, like that's the that's the thing is because when people just talk about being overweight, like they talk about their body and shit like that, like people get tired of it after a while, whereas when you're when you're talking about something like that where it's it's like you're talking about waiting in line 
at a place and it's pissing you off, like people can still relate to that if they're not overweight. Yeah. Exactly. And he does, he does that similar kind of bit with buffets and, you know, yeah. And he, he was also, he's just a great performer. He did, um, he did the role of Edna Turnblad on Broadway. Like he, he was a really, really awesome performer. And, and when I was growing up as this like little fat kid, you know, in, in Northeast Ohio to have somebody that kind of spoke to me that way was, was huge. It was hugely influential. So, and I think if you've heard my comedy, you can, you can definitely see how Panette was a big, big, big influence for me. Um, You know, Panette and, and Brian Regan and, um, you know, obviously everybody's influenced by Seinfeld, but like my big ones were, were Panette and Brian Regan. Those were who I just listened to on loop all the time. I, uh, I was watching, I was watching, um, trying to watch all the seasons of, uh, Star Wars Clone Wars last night or right now. And, uh, I didn't want to like fall asleep while I was in the middle of an episode. So I switched over to Netflix and put on Brian Regan special. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Regan's so good. It's always good, man. So good. I don't even, I can't tell you one Brian Regan joke, but I always enjoy watching him. You know, I mean, that's the like, black coffee bit. It's one of my favorites. Blackity black, black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Bob, uh, I think that's about does it. Uh, what yeah. do you have to promote anything or uh, do you want people to follow? I mean, what, 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 what can you promote in the apocalypse? Um, <laughs> you can follow healthy me on the socials. Yes. Healthy relationships. And believing victims and uh, power to the people. Um, <laughs> uh, you can follow me on the socials at Big McClure. It's B-I-G-M-C-C-L-U-R-E. Uh, always add me on Facebook. There's always fun content on there. Text conversations with my mom, stuff like that that are pretty funny. <laughs> um, if you haven't seen them, they're a hoot, man. Check them out. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, always look for me. We're going to be... As things start to open back up, Sean and I are going to be back on the road. So maybe in a city near you. Cool. Cool. Um, yeah. And when people, and when people have, uh, when people post flyers and stuff that have been on the podcast, we'll always post it on the podcast, Facebook page and shit. So Dope. We'll keep you, keep you up to date on Bob. Um, Brandon, uh, you got anything coming up? Uh, not too soon, but I got a big show. My first feature is going to be March 13th in Barberton. Hey. So I'm really trying to, bring some people out for that sean boyd's headlining milton wiley's the host should be a good time anthony mayo is the other feature super fun guy uh come out to grindstone otherwise it's pretty much there every friday yeah i hung out with mayo last night uh that'll be a fun show um yeah i have nothing scheduled uh but you can always follow me at john brown comedy uh, (laughs) and listen to the show we're actually uh next week i don't know when it'll come out but uh next week we're going to be launching a uh, clip show that we do once a week exclusively on YouTube or once a month exclusively on YouTube um, where we uh, just have two other comedians on and talk about comedy clips. Um, and then, yeah, we launched our YouTube page. So make sure you go to Brown Petri Dish on YouTube and subscribe to that. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Bob, you got anything else to say? Um, <laughs> spay new to your pets. No, um, <laughs> be kind, be kind to everybody, be kind to all the people that you you interact with. It's much easier to be nice to somebody than it is to be mean to them, and it's much more powerful, especially right now. Hell yeah! All right, that's it. Have a good week. Uh, right, next week, thanks. Brown Petri Dish is created by John Brown and Brandon Petrie. 
logo design by Brian Gallagher. Music by Jared Bailey. Audio version of the podcast is produced and edited by John Brown. Video YouTube version produced and edited by Harrison Poole.